Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, we will continue on, and this will be our final uh, position preview here as we will end with the quarterbacks. Uh, look forward to that, as always. want to thank our friends, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. I've been using here the uh, Hotter Hot Sauce, uh, which is really fantastic. I've kind of really come to enjoy that one. So, uh, you know, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. One title sponsor for the Nolcast going on six, maybe flirting with seven years here now. Uh, so thank you to them as always. And with that, we'll jump into uh, our final position preview. Before we get to the position preview portion of it, we'll just do a general quick update. Uh, Josh Griffiths was, uh, he was not dismissed. That's not the right term. He did leave the program uh, today, or at least that became official today. Uh, we had uh, we broke the, the news, I guess you can say, on our Twitter account. I don't want to dedicate a whole lot of time to it, but if you are solely dependent upon the Nolcast for your Florida State information, we'll let you know that he is no longer on the team as of this afternoon. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I do want to wish the best to Josh Griffiths, obviously, as with anybody who transfers out, um, and he later confirmed the news on his Twitter account. Uh, not before, though, his mom denied it and said it was not true, which put me in a little bit of a weird situation because I, Again, poker terms, I had the stone cold nuts on this, right? And unless somehow they had decided to take it back after the decision had been made, uh, like a day later, because I, I think this actually went down on the 24th, I was like, I'm pretty confident in this, but it, it's always in a weird spot where you know, the player's mom is saying this is not true. And then like an hour later, he comes out and with the, uh, you know, with the message. Anyway, I hope he finds a spot where he can get some playing time and, and where, where he really fits and, and is able to, uh, to continue to enjoy college. So, um, got a couple Patreon questions we should probably get to here, I would say, before. Uh, and by the way, if you want to listen to uh, what we think the impact will be of losing Griffiths, just go listen to the defensive line preview, uh, which is in our 2021 season preview uh, thread on YouTube, or you can also just catch it on any of our podcast platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you are watching us on YouTube, like, subscribe, turn on notifications. Let's get us to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. That'd be pretty cool. Been very, uh, very surprised and pleased with the response that people have had you know, to us being on video now, man. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think uh, I can't guarantee all the podcasts will be on video, but I would say the majority of them probably will be depending on location and, and setup availability. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm I'm pumped about that. Let's uh, let's go you know, take some of these Patreon questions. Yeah, let's jump right into it. Brett asked the uh, first question. We had actually received a lot of different inquiries tied to the subject matter, whether it be Patreon, Twitter, or email. But Brett says, with the new collaboration of the three simple gradients, oops, I mean three uh, conferences, what does it actually mean? The statement just seemed generic to me. There's no scheduling guarantees, no revenue sharing, not much of merit, really. Did I miss something or uh, did I miss something or such? Uh, should I just stick with Louisiana hot sauce? You should stick with Louisiana hot sauce. You should most certainly stick with Louisiana hot sauce, unless you slide over to the hotter, as previously discussed. Uh, but my personal opinion, I'll give this to you, and I'm interested to hear yours. I think that, um, one, I agree there was not a ton of significance to it, but I also think people had built up this idea in their mind that there was going to be some transformational announcement with a merging of a conference or something like that, that, that was never going to happen. I think if this uh, becomes significant, becomes significant in, a, in a year that starts with 203, I mean, this, this is more like something that might happen a decade uh, from now. I think it is an immediate response to the 
idea that uh, the SEC is kind of out there uh, more powerful than any entity, certainly more than the NCAA, and uh, may have an interest in kind of turning the SEC into the, uh, you know, the NASCAR version of the, the Saturday or Sunday race and everybody else be the Craftsman World Truck Series or whoever the current sponsor of the truck series is. Uh, that in and of itself would take a long time to play out, but I do think there's three conferences a little bit concerned with the amount of power that's concentrated within one. And this was just kind of a first step in them forming some kind of alliance. And yeah, we'll have to see how successful it is over time. Not, uh, not going to be dictated by that uh, rather insignificant statement from yesterday, uh, one way or another. Yeah, I, I said on cover three that it was basically like the promise ring of, uh, of, of announcements. Like there's nothing binding. There's really nothing written down. We pledge to stay together for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, but I do think there is some value in this if the teams can stay together. No, it is unlikely to get FSU out of its grant of rights with the ACC, which runs through 2036, and it's it's not a good deal uh, for for the ACC and for FSU. Uh, but the main thing here that I think what they're going to try to do is band together, and they are not anti-playoff expansion, but they are anti-playoff expansion during the window of exclusivity that ESPN has, if you expand the playoff before the 2036 year, you, you're, the only party you can negotiate with is ESPN. They have seen all the money that the NFL makes. The new Pac-12 commissioner came from, I believe, MGM Properties and Global Gaming. So he's seen you know that kind of entertainment side of things and he understands, look, if you have a playoff whose rights are held by, yes, of course, ESPN, uh, but also by Fox or Full disclosure here, my employer, CBS, which I don't believe is going to get out of the college ball game, even though they're giving up their SEC contract in the coming years, or you know, maybe longer term down the road, uh, an Amazon or Google or, or some kind of, you know, maybe Netflix wants to jump in. Live sports are, are going to retain pretty significant value in the long term. And they want to make sure that that, that value is bid out to multiple parties. Uh, the playoff being the most uh, lucrative, non-conference affiliated thing you can have. And I think they're they're right about that. I think you will make more money if you have more people bidding on it, right? You also are going to increase the uh, level of interest in the sport potentially because you're going to have pregame shows on Fox Sports or CBS Sports HQ or 24-7 Sports HQ or, or whatever, uh, as opposed to just one playoff show on ESPN. So that all makes sense to me there. They also, I think, are very concerned about the way that the SEC expansion went down. Uh, one of the quotes I thought was instructive, and I think it was from the Pac-12 guy, but it could have been from Phillips. And I don't want to misattribute, so I'll just say I heard it on, on the conference call uh, that they had. And he said, basically, somebody said, hey, with the new information about the SEC expansion, how does that change your thinking? And he just very pointedly said, well, it's not new information. It's just new to everybody else who was in the room, <laughs> which is like a total shot. Uh, but I think that is uh, illuminating as to their opinion. They do not want the conference that is tied in with the or the the network that is tied in with the SEC to be the one that holds all the rights to the playoffs over an also expanded playoff. That's, I think that's the main voting block on this. You could see some, some scheduling agreements, certainly that makes sense. Maybe scheduling preference. And I think they're basically just banding together and saying as well, Hey, look, uh, we are going to have a seat at the big boy table. We're going to vote on some of these issues at, at the coming, like they're having a constitutional conference not the not these leagues, but like all the NCAA is having one in November. 
uh, they will certainly make their voice heard at that. I think there is a decent argument for D1 football being split off from other uh, types of football and other types of sports as far as the governance of it. You know, um, the money's getting so big now to where if you're cheating or anything like that, like, do you really want to like knock a team out and have them be gone for that long? Fans would say yes. I think they're, the, the concept of too big to fail kind of comes in here. So we'll see how they vote on that. Uh, but mainly to me, it's, it's an alliance of voting largely against the concept of SEC SPN. Yeah, it is. I also think it will be a convenient scheduling partner should the SEC continue to require, you know, should the SEC's regular season continue to grow and uh, some of these schools are looking around with need to add to schedules and, you know, maybe you can come to some type of agreement where you just have a natural pairing or a natural rotation through this other, you know, these other two power conferences. So, uh, something we'll see, something that, like I said, I don't think plays out. You know, certainly we won't know the full scale of this for, in my opinion, potentially as long as eight to 10 years. And if it's still going on with Bud's hypothetical promise ring, it will certainly have lasted much, much longer than most promise rings. And uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see what its ultimate impact on college football is. Well, why do you think the Big Ten is uh, voted yes on this, by the way? This is the one thing. Like, the Big Ten is an awesome TV deal. It's going to have a more awesome TV deal coming up. Like, is to, to you, is it solely that they they know that their next TV deal is not likely to be with, the, with ESPN and they don't want the, the other mega power? Because right now it's like the SEC and the Big Ten are kind of the two mega powers out there. Like they just don't want their competing mega power to also be the one that controls all the playoff rights? Uh, the Big Ten network is a Fox property, is it not? I know at least at one point it was. Did, did, they, okay. did they remain there? Uh, I believe so. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. But I, I mean, I think it does come down to the the TV wars between conferences and um, yeah, it is. It's a joint venture. Uh, Fox yeah. is fifty-one percent, Big Ten forty-nine percent. Okay, that's my answer. Boom. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, and they they need the voting power of the ACC and the Pac-12 in order in order to get what they want. Cool. Don says transfer portal COVID vax question mark. Good start. Kids that enter portal now because of personal reasons do not. Uh, whether they be tied to the vaccine or otherwise, do they have to sit out a year if Florida State releases them? Do they use a year of eligibility? Do they lose a year of eligibility? Excuse me. I actually don't know about this. If the kid has not transferred before, I'm almost certain that they don't lose a, a year of eligibility because of the new transfer automatic waiver thing. If you had a situation where a kid had already transferred, I don't think I... I don't know the answer to that. I would guess they could lose a year of eligibility, but I, I, that's a good question by Don. I really hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should have. We, we've seen kids transferring out, though, because of the vaccine at a lot of different schools. I know Rutgers had one today, uh, and Boston College had one. Jeff Halfley basically said, hey, guess what? Uh, Boston College is 100% vax, just like you know UVA and, and a couple other teams have had, had some as well. It's not, uh, it's not you know, super rare. They don't always announce that reason, but sometimes you can kind of read between the lines and figure out, hey, you know, kind of like we were discussing on the last show. You know what I mean? Uh, but at some of these schools, there's no need to read between the lines. I mean, if, if you refuse to get it and you're at one of these schools that requires 100% of the students, not the football team, but the students to have it, the, the team's hands are tied. The coaches may, may want to fight it, but they can't. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's kind of it for the pre-questions. We can jump into the quarterback preview itself here unless I've otherwise missed something. Do you want to take uh do you want to take Jacobs? The 2022 recruiting class? Question? Yeah, let's slide down to that. We actually uh if you've listened to the past previous episodes, we have switched over uh our Nolcast note sheet and have a fresh page here to work with and it's much things faster. are going quite quite smoothly. So Jacob asks, thank you for the great work you are doing, keeping all Florida State fans abreast of the exciting momentum we have on the recruiting trail. And and while I am genuinely impressed by the work the staff is doing and accomplishing in the 2022 class, it's never too early to look at the 23 class, which in theory, the staff should aspire to hit out of the park as it is the class in which Norvell and co. are recruiting at the same playing field as Mullen, Diaz, and others. And while I'm encouraged by the focus on the 23 wide receiver depth, how do you feel the staff is heading into the 23 class as we head into the 2021 season? Recruiting is often like Louisiana hot sauce, a popular subject uh, of the questioners tonight, in that you catch lightning in a bottle. I feel like they're currently all in on 22, but curious on your collective thoughts on how this staff is doing relatively to its peers in the classes that follow. So uh, it's a really good question. that was asked by by Brett. You said that was Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Excuse me. Uh, so, J- Jacob, good questioner. I, I like that one. I would say I think they're doing well. They're doing well. This year is going to be interesting because there's a decent argument to be made that as long as they don't start off the year terribly, that because they have all these kids still committed going into the year, there's a decent chance they end up landing them even if they were to go like five and seven. Now, I'm sure there'll be some kids they're going to have to fight for, you know, down the stretch a little bit, but ultimately, you know, probably a decent chance of landing them. However, even though you and I, and all the listeners out there who listen to the Nolcast religiously, they will tell you this is what? A long-term rebuild. When you have two coaches or three coaches in four years, your roster is going to be screwed up for a while. Kids don't necessarily know that. It is a little bit harder to message that. And I think the success of 23 will, of course, be rela- be based on the relationships and the quality of the recruiting job the staff does, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but it will also be, be based on how much progress they're able to show on the field. I do not know that the 2023 class will be a complete proof-of-concept class. I think 24 certainly will be. But I think you will have more of the proof of concept elements there for the 23 class than, than you do with the 22 class. With the 22 class, it is very easy and probably very accurate uh, to pitch that, look, this is our first year we've had with these guys. Last year was COVID, blah, 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 all, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so, I, which I buy into, by the way. I think for 23, you probably need to show a couple more wins before I'm real confident that they're going to take yet another step in recruiting. All right. Yeah, that's a good question. Glad we got to that, Jacob. Thank you again for submitting it for us. Uh, With that, Bud, let's switch our focus to quarterbacks, as this is the quarterback position preview. Uh, Before we jump into it, is this the position in which maybe your opinion has changed the most as we've gone through camp? I mean, if we will, we'll we'll do a full season preview where we can talk about this a little bit more, but uh, you know, the wide receivers may be a slightly different preview if we had to do it again, in my opinion. Um, that's really the only one that comes to mind. I mean, linebackers was what it was, and there's no reason for us to 
continue to reiterate. I'll also say that I haven't necessarily heard things that would make me change my opinion on that one. Um, but this has been telling. I mean, camp has been very interesting when it comes to the quarterback position, and it is not by mistake that we have waited uh, for this one to do it last. I, I think that's that's pretty fair, man, um, because we, we've been waiting on on data. Like we mentioned, right? You got guys out with contact tracing. You got guys out with COVID stuff. You got guys out due to injury. Uh, Mackenzie Milton played in the first scrimmage. Did you see any practice? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Uh, we try to toe the line. We aren't out, out at practice, so we're not necessarily going to get our, you know, get yelled at by an SID or something like that, or have threats of of accessibility taken away. At least we're not out there at practice all the time. Let me rephrase that. But, I mean, look, there's a there's a reason why you haven't heard a whole lot of Mackenzie Milton news. There's When you hear about quarterbacks, you hear about Jordan Travis, you hear about um, what Chubba Purdy's do to emerge and solidify the third position. This is a hard position to judge for a lot of reasons, but maybe perhaps mainly that one of the main participators participators in this race has been held out now whether that's purely load management whether that's other things it's not really for us to speculate but the fact of the matter is that mckenzie milton has been you know let's just say limited in participation which only makes a preview like this all the more challenging that's putting it kindly i think right i mean he how many practice reports have you read i don't care what site you go to i mean, i i love knowledge 24 7 but you read any practice reports recently talking about how Mackenzie Milton threw a good ball? No, no, I have not. You heard you heard Mike Norvell talk about him uh, specifically using his name anytime recently. There's a there's a reason for that certainly. I mean, yeah, something's going on. So, there. Uh, and, and look, even if it is load management, and I can respect that. And of all the conversations we'll have tonight, look, Mackenzie Milton has made it back from an injury where he damn near lost his life. Mackenzie Milton needs to be given an exceptional amount of credit for the internal drive, focus, and determination that he showed to even be able to go through a practice at half speed, much less, you know, participate in, in some scrimmages and everything else like that. So I have a, a deep admiration for, like, the competitor, uh, the the want to return to the field at McKenzie Milton, and he needs to be credited for such. And it's a great sign that McKenzie Milton will probably at least have the drive to be successful to do other things in life once his football career is over. So, you know, please don't twist anything that we're saying about him as a personal shot at Milton or anything else. It's just the fact of the matter. And the fact of the matter is I have concerns that if, even if this is pure load management, uh, real tough to do a whole lot of that during season, particularly to the extent that it would appear uh, has taken place during the preseason. I completely agree there. Um, so let's just go through, through this. David Hale uh, had, we, we always go to David Hale just to kind of set the table for this. He's the guy I, I feel does the best job covering the ACC as a whole. Uh, David Hale of ESPN. He has FSU's QB's 11th uh, going into the year, which is actually one of the higher rankings for any of the offensive positions. I think he had running backs a little bit higher, but when we talked about that, like maybe... It's more a general running game ranking. Uh, but I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I just have uh, I have a little bit of increased questions here, right? Part of my thought on predicting, uh, like if I was going to go predict six and six for this team, uh, was having McKenzie Milton uh, healthy and making progress. Let's recap, or let's recap, excuse me, maybe, maybe an unintentional slip there, maybe appropriate. 
let's recap what he's sort of done so far. Two weeks in spring where he was not impressive. A final week in spring where he was actually pretty impressive. For the most part, unimpressive in fall camp when he's been out there. Has been limited quite a bit, obviously. Uh, and has had what? I think two practices that people have told us where he looked good. The rest of them, it ain't been close between he and Jordan Travis as far as quality. Like, just, just to be frank. So I, this got me thinking a little bit. He was so damn good at UCF. And this is obviously, I think, related to his injury and where he almost lost his leg and certainly has permanent lingering effects. This guy's not close to what he was at UCF. But pre-show tonight, I, I asked you to dig up something. And I think you did a really good job on this. I, I, I want to go through it. And I hope you're listening to this in order, right? That you already listened to the receiver preview here. Do you guys realize how many NFL players were catching passes from McKenzie Milton in 2017, 2018, the, the two years that he really tore it up at UCF? Because I was kind of shocked by this. You, you want to go through this list? So if I've missed somebody, please let me know. In my opinion, you had two guys that... Uh, were at least on an NFL roster, drafted by an NFL team, or signed from free agent. Otis Anderson and uh, Adrian Killens. He had three wide receivers, Trey Nixon, Traquan Smith, and Gabriel Davis, and a tight end in Jordan Atkins. So that's, what, six NFL guys? And Anderson got a second contract, I believe. So like, it's fair to say, even though he wasn't drafted, I mean, he's stuck. Yeah, he's a legit NFL guy, certainly. How many... Uh, how many legit NFL guys would you say are in the receiving tight end and running back core on this team? Uh, one's a true freshman at wide receiver. Malik. Yep. Agreed. That's all I have. Maybe one of the backs, like if Toa Philly really bust out or something like that. I could see Corbin getting in a camp and stuff. Sure. I just, I don't. Corbin potentially. I got one and a half guys. He's down you on Corbin and, and, and you, you keep being right on him, by the way. Like he, he keeps getting better. So. Yeah. So we, we got one and a half. And maybe be optimistic. I mean, we'll see. Uh, there's certainly time for other people to emerge, but that's when I look at the roster, that's what I see. Yeah. And certainly nobody who's going to, I don't think anybody from this offense, skill position wise, will be drafted in the upcoming draft. Love to be wrong. Here's my point Look, you got a kid who at UCF was much healthier than, than, he, than he is now, period. Mobility was a big part of his game, even though he didn't put up insane numbers. Like He was very, very mobile within the pocket. He was in an offense that was, at times, creating some very wide-open guys. But he also uh, was somewhat accurate and had a deadly quick release. I mean, when he saw it, boom, ball was out. And I think that's something that continue here, that, that quick release. But he's also facing much better defensive quality especially with this schedule. Think, think about the non-conference you have going on here, right? I mean, you know, Florida's got some guys who will be NFL DBs. Notre Dame does, certainly. You're facing a much more difficult schedule. The quality of player... Okay, you know what? I don't even need to say this. I was going to say like the quality of player relative to the league is much worse here, but just the quality of player relative to what he had at UCF is not as good. That UCF receiving core, tight end core, running back core was more talented than what they have at FSU right now. Pretty clearly. So you have a diminished player with diminished talent around him and increased level of competition. Who hadn't played in two years. Was it unrealistic for us to think he's going to come in here and ball out? 
Uh, I would be hesitant to use the term ball out, but I, I don't think it was unrealistic of us to sing the praises of doing this. And if I think the coaches had to do it again, they would do it 10 times uh, out of 10. And I think when we get to Jordan Travis and talk about some of the positive things that he has done, uh, I won't, uh, you know, I won't place all of it on Mackenzie Milton, but certainly the presence of him, in my opinion, has led, uh, or at least has played, potentially played a large role in Jordan, knowing that he had to put in the extra work to improve as a passer. And uh, we're not, in my opinion, we're not just blowing preseason optimistic smoke uh, when we tell you that Jordan has made significant improvements. Uh, so I think the, and the Milton signing and bringing him in uh, was a good move and has had positive impacts. Uh, but as we sit here, you know, kind of wrapping up our preseason series, uh, we're trying to be as honest with you as possible as far as what that looks like. I think both of us ultimately thought Milton was going to win this job. Um, I do not. I mean, I, I have, I was fairly confident about Travis a week ago and I've, uh, am only much more confident. I'll put it that way, that he's your starting quarterback come uh come Notre Dame and and ultimately he's your you know quarterback one for most of the season you're right by the way I I really believe that I I thought hey like there's still a chance that like that level McKenzie can come back and ball out and I look whenever we can get into the practice stuff he certainly has not balled out over the last week you know enough to to make up ground against Jordan in my opinion um and I I really personally don't buy into the idea that he's proven enough that they're going to load manage him for another week. Like, uh, mm, that doesn't, doesn't sit right with, with my common sense. But I, I think, to your another point, there's no doubt that FSU was right to take the chance on it. I mean, if you hit, you significantly upgrade your room. I do wonder, do you remember how much crap we got for saying, we didn't say that he wouldn't come to FSU. We just said that we knew some of the teams that were on his list based on some context that we had at his former school and that like FSU was not at that level of program. Like he was talking, you know, like talking about playoff programs, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And they were like, "Mm, no, thanks. Right. Mainly because they didn't need a quarterback. I don't don't think they were really passing judgment on him, but I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're like, I don't know, man, the guy almost lost his leg. We'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens here, man. But if, if he can get right, if he can click, even if it's a little bit delayed, there's something there because you're not going to have a whole lot of time to throw the ball behind its offensive line. But the quick release, I think, can make up for it. I'm not willing to write him off long-term. I do believe they're going to need both quarterbacks this year. I think they're really going to need them. But at this point, I have a hard time seeing Jordan Travis you know, not being your primary quarterback at least early in the season, just based on all the feedback we've had. Yeah. You want to get in? You want to get in Jordan? Like I, we can we can say some nice stuff about McKenzie. His numbers at UCF, they they really were insane, man. Like I'll I'll hit him real quick. But 2018, 59 uh, percent passing, 9.2 yards per attempt, 25 to six touchdown to interception ratio. 2017 was even more crazy, 67 percent, 4,000 yards, 10.2 per attempt, 37 to nine touchdown to interception ratio. If that guy can flash for a couple games, that's a recipe for them to get get to six wins. Is he going to be good enough for you to beat a Florida or a Clemson? Uh, maybe not, but they don't need him to be that every single game. They just they, if he can put it together for a couple games and, and really flash, 
that would be uh, that'd be big for him. We'll see if he can do it. Yeah, just let's just see it in a Wake Forest or NC Perfect. State game or something like Louisville? that. Give me that in one of these games that is very much yeah. Louisville would be great. Give me one of these games that's a you know when we do our win percentage, we're going to probably be somewhere between forty five and fifty five percent or something like that. Get you know let's. I think it was a great addition. I think there's been some positive side uh, effects of bringing him in, and uh, like I said previously, it certainly brought out. Uh, the best in the guy that we're about to talk about now. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about Jordan Travis, somebody we were very excited about. First, I also want to tell you about the legendary team, legendary home loans. We almost have done 200 home loans to the legendary team. Shannon and Chad do a tremendous job. Uh, no more shout outs tonight because we literally just did this pod last night. I, I don't think, have they sold another loan today through us? Yeah, we got another email today. We did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need, I need to go find that thing. Who, who are we giving a shout out to today? I think it's hashtag Hunter is my hero. Uh, if we're searching the inbox, yeah. Uh, shout out to Ray, uh, Ray and Precious in Dania Beach. We'll be sending shirts out to y'all. That is incredible. Cool. Uh, very much appreciate y'all deciding to use our sponsors, 844 FSU Loan. Give them a call. Rates, service, knowledge of the industry, professionalism. We should put that on a shirt. That's that's a solid list of words there, bud. All right. Uh, Jordan Travis was much better as a passer last year than I thought he was going to be based on all the feedback we had heard from him from Louisville, from the prior coaching staff, and early on from this coaching staff. And he came out and he was not a good passer, but he was not necessarily a a horrendous passer. He was a below average passer which was okay because he was also a ridiculously good runner at the QB position. And he also opened up the run game for other backs and made the offensive line not look terrible like it kind of looked through the first you know, three games of the year. Some numbers on Jordan Travis. 1,000 yards. He was a 55% passer. 6-6 to touchdown to interception ratio. That's not great, right? We don't want a one-to-one there. Um, Catchable ball percentage, 68. Sack percentage, 8.4. He did take a surprising number of sacks, but he also made a lot of plays after scrambling around. I think he'll take that somewhat. Adjusted yards per attempt, uh, 5.8. That's not good, but it's also like not... I mean, just for comparison here, uh, James Blackman was 2.3. Chubba Purdy, 3.4. Northwestern's quarterbacks over the last couple of years have been in that like three range. So we're not talking about like worse in college football. Or even worse in the ACC. You're kind of bottom, probably bottom quartile in the ACC as far as the passing element here. Really didn't uh, didn't have a whole lot of guys to throw to. Ontario Wilson was his best target. Tamari and Terry was very inconsistent. Has injury concerns certainly. Takes some serious shots. I mean, he was he was missing last fall camp, if you recall. I really wonder if he had been in last fall camp the whole time. Could he maybe have have come into the season earlier last year. I don't know. But I think your point about Mackenzie Milton coming in and pushing him is probably a really good one. And that's not me questioning his work ethic, but I, I think you probably nailed it, dude, because I, I know you've been hearing that he's actually uh, legitimately improved as a passer. Yeah, I, I very much think he does, or he has, and uh, I think he's put in some extra work to do that. I'll also add to a stat. Now, granted, Florida State ended up losing rather significantly, but he did... Uh, execute one crossover dribble of a football, which I've never seen before, in which he ultimately um, turned a broken play into a touchdown. So uh, have to 
mentioned the fact that my man literally dribbled the football from his right hand to his left hand while it was bouncing around on the ground and turned that into a touchdown. So um, there are some some uh, analytics out there that would suggest that Jordan Travis, one of the more explosive rushers in college football, there's certainly some plays that you can just immediately draw upon the fact that he makes a man miss against uh, UNC and turns that into a 78-yard touchdown. Uh, he is just a very dynamic runner. That much we feel exceptionally confident about. And if he has progressed even half as much as uh, has been discussed, then you know below average may turn to average or slightly above average. I don't think I'd expect a whole lot more. And if he is slightly above average, I'm not sure I would expect that in every game, but I do think you're going to see significant progression. What I'm interested in, Bud, is I'm very confident that we've seen a quarterback that's gotten better throwing the ball. Have we, or are we going to see a quarterback that's gotten better at progressing through reads? Can he move past just being a one-read quarterback? Uh, that would be a significant step in his game and would certainly add uh, to you know some of the wrinkles that the Florida State offense can try to deploy. It's a really important question. Last year, he was oftentimes a one-read dude, right? To Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham's credit, they are not like pure progression guys if they don't need to be. They dial up shots a lot. FSU wants to take shots. I think they understand that Jordan Travis is probably not I mean, he, I'm sure he's made progress. I believe he's made progress. People I really trust have told me he's made progress. I've asked him, are you saying this just because McKenzie has not looked good? No. Like Jordan legitimately looks a lot better than he did last year. A whole lot better. Okay. That's encouraging to me. I haven't heard that he's all of a sudden like staying in the pocket and going through all his reads. Also, we know the old line's been out quite a bit. You know, like the quote unquote starting offensive line has been not playing together very frequently so far in camp. And we talked about this three episodes ago when we, when we did that preview. We're like, look, man, there's some continuity questions here. There's some what did you really get done this week at practice questions. It's kind of what we were referencing, right? We, we went over that. But they do a good job of dialing up shot plays for him off, off play action. He's okay on some of the RPO game. He's very good. And by the way, if you're a new listener, RPO is run pass option. That means handoff or throw. It doesn't typically mean throw or... No, it's not zone read or, or or throw, typically. Like that's not we're not talking about like QB keeper type stuff when, when we say RPO. RPO we mean, you know, like reading the backer. If 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 he you know if he comes, you pull it and throw. If he sits back, you you hand the ball off. Jordan was so damn good, man, at the zone read though last year. I was I was filtering through some stats pre-show. You know, he averaged nine point four yards per carry on zone reads. The late pull, the ability for him to, to really read that, it's a weapon. Those are some of the bigger pop plays that I can think of, uh, of him doing that. And uh, teams started to make some adjustments to that later in the season, but even then he was still more explosive than I thought he could be. I mean, there was times where the offense was really a, a one-trick pony and uh, Jordan you know, retained to be the ability to be a pretty dynamic rusher. Uh, you also didn't have to play Clemson, so that, that helps. That's fair. Or Florida. Um, although Florida's defense last year was not not that great. Here's the areas where they really got to improve it, in my opinion. Okay. Can Jordan Travis, when, when Mike and, and, and Kenny cannot figure out a way to dial up a shot play for them, because the defense does not have to respect all the window dressing and they don't have to respect the threat of the run, 
on passing downs, can they get better? When the defense knows that you probably have to throw the ball here, are you not completely and totally screwed? Because last year, you were. All right, I'm going to drop some numbers on you here. Passing down success rate, 101st in the country. Standard down success rate, 57. I'll take 57th all day. 101st, you're sitting at home. You're not going to a bowl. That number right there has got to improve. Third and medium success rate, 29th in the country. I think a lot of that is related to Jordan's ability to pick up yards and, and like he actually had some decent scrambles on like third and four, right? Second and seven. Now, third and long success rate, 120th. Again, listeners at home probably know how many teams played last year, 127th. There are only seven teams worse on third and long. When FSU got in third and long, if you were live betting at home, you knew to like hit against it pretty hard because they just weren't doing anything. 16% success rate on third and long. I mean, that's just, it doesn't work. You, you got to be able to be a little bit better than one and seven, you know, one and six, right? Like that's just, you can't have it. Um, that's where they have to get better. Now, this is something I think a trend that will continue, by the way, assuming that Jordan plays a, a good bit. So passing success rate, 118th. I think that, that will get better, most likely. It'd be hard to be worse. Passing marginal efficiency, 121st. Again, that's not very good. A lot of, a lot of very deep red on my spreadsheet here. <laughs> passing explosiveness, 58th. So when they did hit passes, they were generally for, for big plays. Um, you know, adjusted yards per attempt, 119. I mean, literally one of the worst passing games in the entire country. I also have some continued concerns that some of the success the offense had last year was kind of fool's gold. If you take and you filter out for some of the garbage time, especially if you have a little more aggressive definition of garbage time, like, you know, than, than what Bill has, I think you could find some more concerning trends. But their rushing, their rushing offense, man, was really pretty damn good. And it was all Jordan. 19th in success rate, 10th in rushing efficiency. Eighth in opportunity rate. I mean, they're 54th in rushing explosiveness, but I guess a lot of that just the, the other backs didn't really break big runs before garbage time hit. Toa Philly had that long one against Duke, but I, I think that game was kind of over by that point. If all this, if the ratios of all this stay the same, okay, and they're still not an efficient passing team, and they're a little more explosive than they are efficient in the past game, and they stay a really nice you know, run, run team, but they just get a little bit better everywhere. Like, does that work for you? Or does the lack of having the McKenzie that we had hoped they could have, does that just kind of kind of pour cold water on this whole thing? It's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, there's certainly some steps out there. I also think that when you take a step back here, bud, and really look at what this team is and where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, I mean, you may... It, Travis may ultimately be a better fit for you. You've got a run. You've got an offensive line that still is better at run blocking than pass blocking. You've got a wide receiver unit that I am exceptionally confident that your best player is a wide receiver, and other parts are a freshman. Are, excuse, no, if I just said your best player is a wide receiver, yes, your best player is in the wide receiver unit. <laughs> I would hope so. He does play that <laughs> position. Uh, he's a true freshman. You've got another guy who's been very up and down, and I am excited about maybe what he can do, but also concerned with how he responds to challenges. 
Uh, I, long story short, I think this offense is is suited to continue to rely on the running game, and I think you know Travis certainly is your most dynamic option. I, I do think you'll continue to take some steps forward. Uh, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see ultimately what the end of the year looks like, and and uh, you know how much of this is legitimate optimism and how much of this is fool's gold. But I I think Jordan Travis, I think Jordan Travis is going to have a pretty solid year if he can stay healthy. I, I really do, and I'm. You know, we've certainly said some things in years past in these series that we were proven wrong, uh, but I have a decent degree of confidence of uh, how this guy translates to Saturdays if he can be healthy. So let's play by ourselves for a second. By yourself. If I had told you coming out of the spring that Mackenzie Milton would be worse than he looked in the spring, you would have predicted four and eight. That's, that's uh, the pause is me struggling with this one. I mean, I have, I, that means it's good. I would probably buy it. So it's very good. It's a good number. Uh, I would, I would buy that. I mean, and, and to be fair, we, we already referenced this. I think both of us ultimately thought McKenzie would be your starting quarterback and that he was going to be a, you know, a piece of which the offense was built around. Um, so yeah, I would buy four or eight or four and eight. But by the other key piece of that is because I said after spring, because we neither of us knew that Jordan would take a it's called a meaningful step forward throwing the ball. I I can kind of buy into that him taking that step forward for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's second year in this system. He's been more healthy th- th- than he's been. I'm very confident that his receivers aren't a whole lot better than they were last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure like we can't be like oh it's the offensive line that's making it look great right now. So. You know, for him being the one to to look by far the best in practices, I'm willing to attribute that to him. Yeah, I do. I do think Helton is a, is going to be a little bit more of a better option than I thought he was a week ago. But uh, that's another conversation for another time. But yeah, as wide receivers, certainly, you know, it's not not going to be an all star group that we talk about in a couple of years. How how talented it was, or at least uh, it won't be for the predominantly uh, you know predominantly the kids that are upperclassmen. Got another question for you. When I was putting together season previews with you, you know, earlier in the offseason, one of the things I was going to ask you was like, how much is Jordan Travis going to play as sort of the changeup for Mackenzie Milton? But now, how much is Mackenzie Milton going to play as a changeup for Jordan Travis? Because it's not the same question, right? Uh, it's very much not the same question, and this is why I continued to think that if it was even, it would be Mackenzie. Because I think one, it's a lot easier to go from Mackenzie to Jordan. And I also think that going from McKenzie to Jordan as a secondary pitch is a lot more effective. Uh, and I think you could build more packages around that and kind of show some multiplicity with what you're trying to do. Whereas bringing in McKenzie uh, after Jordan is, is probably a little bit more predictable. So, uh, yeah, that has always been something in the back of my mind. And um, it is why I've kind of given the benefit of the doubt that McKenzie would probably be your starter up until uh, 14 days ago or so. And, uh, you know, I know that's a small window of time, but I think ultimately it's probably going to be accurate. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you there. Who knows? Maybe, maybe McKenzie comes back and just absolutely lights it on fire in, in, in the final week. And he did it in the spring, right? I mean, spring, it was like not impressive. And then he did it in the spring. And the one thing that we can several times. We can never discount is that he's done it in front of Mike Norvell in a game setting. And Mike Norvell will, will give him the benefit of the doubt because of that. And if there's, 
you know, if, if there's green shoots of recovery at all, um, then that is a card that certainly Jordan Jordan Travis does not have. So uh, against Mike Norvell's Memphis team, Norvell was at Memphis what three years? I thought four, but could, could be wrong. Or four, okay. So so sixteen and nineteen. McKenzie in 2018, 17 of 29 for 296, one touchdown, no picks, pretty solid. Uh, and then also in 2017, 19 of 31, 253, three tutties, one pick in a 40 to 13 victory. That that 2019 game though, or 2018 game was was pretty wild. The the game in Memphis, 31-30, UCF gets that uh, gets that comeback win against those guys. Anyway, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating thing. I, I really, it is the one position that I, I really uh, kind of flipped my opinion on, man. I, I think David Hale could be right, I guess. But I also think they could be better than that, potentially. This is a, a decent quarterback league, though, I feel like this year. You know, I, I like Leary. It is, and Florida State plays pretty much all of them. So uh, you'll, you'll see them in the, the natural progression of the schedule. 100%. Um, okay, so. Qu- question for you, Mr. Elliott. Buy or sell? The NOLCast will be doing a listener appreciation event in a style that we have never done previously with our good friends at Madison Social. Well, that is a buy. Uh, hate to ruin your answer, take it from you, but uh, we're really excited. This is a pure listener appreciation. We're not selling anything, whether it be drink tickets or meal tickets or anything else. Uh, we've got some koozies on order that uh, we'll be looking forward to giving away to you guys during the Louisville weekend. Uh, we'll certainly be around there for the Notre Dame game, but uh, we've discussed many times while why doing an event for that is uh, is not the best idea. But we do look forward to being able to have a couple of beers, enjoy our time with our listeners. It's really one of the favorite things uh, that I get to do in this. I know you feel similar, bud, and we both agree that it has been long, far too long since we've done something like this. So uh, we look forward to having some stuff to to give out to you, the listeners. So I have a koozie that we're working on with Matt and his team. Uh, and whether it be the Notre Dame game, Louisville game, or any other game, there certainly is no better place uh, to spend before or after, whether it be Township, Madison Social, or if you want to double dip here, uh, not only will we we'll be doing a listener appreciation event, we're really looking forward to a taking in Charlie Park uh, firsthand and our, uh, have you know made reservations to do so. So, uh, something that we are eagerly excited about and uh, very, very uh, excited to take in and give you guys our firsthand accounts of the rooftop bar that Madso has added to the uh, For the Table list of properties. 100%. Um, by the way, for those of you all who asked about pint glasses, we loved the pint glasses last time, but the feedback we got from a lot of y'all uh, was that taking it into Doke was, was really difficult. Uh, I'm not even sure you're allowed to bring glass and like glass pie glass to the stadium. You're probably yeah. not with security. And because of where Madso is located, it's an awesome spot to hit before you go into the game. But it may, depending on where you park, it may not be super convenient for you to go to Madso, go bring a pint glass all the way back to your car or truck, and then head to the stadium as well. Uh, so we just thought like for the listener appreciation event, that wasn't necessarily best thing you know come and get a couple of koozies uh, that that'll be I, I just think that's that's probably easier for everybody to handle it is i mean i love pint glasses i'd love to do pint glasses all things being equal but it, we're also prohibited if this is a night game then i'd, I'd order the pint glasses the pint glasses right now but 
if this is a noon game, then what Bud just talked about is particularly true. And Madso is fantastic because it's a great last stop before you enter uh, Dote Campbell. Uh, it is can be a little bit more tricky if you've got to circle back, find a car, whatever. And so, uh, you know, we love the pint glasses, but for an event like this, decided to take it in a different direction. I, I am interested, by the way, like, do you think FSU will have a better middle of the field threat for Jordan Travis to throw to this year? To me, that's something they have to have. Like his numbers in some of these like intermediate zones in the middle were not were not all that great. And part of that is certainly on him. I just think that's maybe strength weakness as a passer. But man, I also, I also wonder like who were there? Who was he throwing to? Yeah, I'm not trying to get lost in the sauce here, but I, I do think Keyshawn Helton has the ability to be that person for you. Uh, Wilson also does pretty good work on some of those intermediary routes, but. Uh, I think if Helton continues to emerge, that will be his role. I mean, I think he will make the tough catches, get some tough yards, find some space on the inside. Uh, I think that if he continues to emerge, that is going to be very much his role. So if uh, that, you know, if, if you do find success there, I think uh, the man from the panhandle will probably be a large part of it. All right, I have another question for you. What level, let, let's say McKenzie gets back to practice and starts balling out. What level of run game drop-off are you willing to accept in order to have a perceived passing game improvement? Hard for me to quantify this answer. So it's a good question. I, I don't know exactly where you would go with it. I just think you have to acknowledge the drop-off and you also have to try to figure out what, you know, I, I referenced this earlier, but what's the strength of your offensive line? I yeah. mean, can, can they protect? protect? Can they protect McKenzie? Uh, McKenzie in 18, I'm not going to tell you I've watched all of his games over the last uh, couple of days, but I have gone back and watched four or five. And he's uh, he's an incredible college football player during those years. Uh, not exceptionally accurate, but a very good job of creating angles for himself, for avoiding an end, and then uh, you know taking a quick half step to be able to get out in the flat or something like that. Uh, I just am curious how much of that he can do. Um, and if he's forced to sit back there behind a line that's not still not great at pass blocking, uh, how effective he ultimately could be. So uh, I have a hard time quantifying exactly what you would accept uh, with that, but you certainly have to acknowledge that the run game would suffer in theory. Now, look, if McKenzie's throwing it all over the yard and making great decisions, and you can certainly argue that that would loosen up the defense and give you some options in the run game that you might not have otherwise. But in general, uh, when you take, Jordan Travis's ability away and you take the way that a defense has to defend him, uh, you know, there's certainly going to be a, a difference and uh, how the defense plays the two. Yeah, I completely agree here. Um, let me see. What's that? What else do we have on our sheet tonight? So we already talked Alliance stuff. We should probably talk real quickly about Chubba. I mean, look, I'm not going to oh, yeah. sit here and get, again, uh, lose myself in the fact that a guy has established himself clearly as the three, but he has. Chubb has had a good uh, series of practices and certainly, you know, regardless of if it was load management or whatever else, he got a chance to take an awful lot of snaps uh, for a couple of days there. And it seems to have, you know, expedited his development in a decent degree. Uh, Tate Rodemaker appears to be a very good athlete. Um, I have not seen tons of things that would point to him being a good quarterback, but there's time on that. And coach's son, intelligent guy, I'm sure there's still some, you know, it's a product there to mold and work with, but Chubb has certainly become your third option and uh, by all counts has, has had a pretty good camp. So one thing that's interesting to me here, 
and I want to give Chubb Chub Purdy some credit. When he went home to Arizona following the, the other surgery, I was like, eh, do we see this kid come back? There were a lot of red flags. Yeah, I thought the same. Not about personally, but just like, this is a transfer red flag. This is a transfer red flag. The guy can't stay healthy. You know, he hasn't been around. He came back. It's working out. Came back and he's had a really good camp. Uh, and he, you know, deserves some credit. And I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, how much we see of him. I have a feeling, you know, neither of the two guys in front of him uh, are have a 100% clean bill of health. and. Uh, or at least historically, I'm not suggesting that Travis has some injury that they're hiding or anything. In fact, quite the opposite. But uh, with the style that he plays and the hits he takes, I think you're going to see Chubba Purdy. And I think it's a very good thing that he's uh, made the strides that he has. And, you know, there's a, a very small amount of tape on that kid from what he's gotten to play. But uh, obviously pretty mobile, has a decent arm. And uh, if he can improve on his decision-making a little bit, I think there's a, a lot to be excited about. 100% there. Um, let's go ahead and take a couple more of these Patreon questions. We have some QB-specific ones. Uh, over, under, McKenzie and Travis are both on the field. I'm going to convert this from Bob to a buy or sell. Uh, McKenzie and Travis are both on the field for 10% of FSU snaps this year. Oh, wait, no, he means like combined both on the field at the same time. Yeah, so 10% is a way bigger number, Bob, than I think you, you realize. And I'm not trying to be patronizing or condescending or anything else, but 10% is a lot. 6% would have been something that I would have been considered to. I know they've worked on this. I know there's a decent amount of packages. I, again, I don't think I'm necessarily letting the cat out of the bag to suggest that. Uh, but they, you know, throughout the summer, there was a decent, uh, decent amount of time spent on getting both of these guys on the field. So I think it's a good question, Bob. I'm not dismissing it, but 10%, probably a little bit too strong of a number in my opinion. I would agree. I mean, that's basically 90 snaps on the year where they're, where they're playing both of them at the same time. Uh, I, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, right? Like maybe that's their base offense and they'll, they'll just go with that. I just, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing over 10% of their snaps. Before we get to the next question, I do want to thank our friends at Congruity. Uh, I actually had a chance to go and see uh, Jonathan of Select Shades and see his operation in North Atlanta yesterday, and it's uh, really impressive and uh, great, you know, great company, good people, and uh, impressed with what they've done. And he did nothing but rave about the relationship that he's been able to have with Matt Lewis and his team uh, since he signed up with him, I think three or four months ago. So uh, he's had a great experience, as has uh, some of the properties of the For the Table restaurant group. Uh, we just thank Matt. Been a great uh, experience working with him and his team. Uh, you can reach him at 844 247 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. And whether you're looking for a PEO or just want somebody to come in and see some of the areas that maybe you could do a little bit better in or optimize your business, uh, Congruity would be our first choice. And we would uh, you know, very much suggest that you give them similar consideration. By the way, uh, we know Matt's son was in the Little League World Series, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, I do want to give an update on the South Dakota pitcher that uh, we talked about last week. Did you see what he did today? I can't say that I did. No, dude, I was. I, yeah, I, I, I took my son uh, to dinner tonight. My wife was was working out of town, so I had to find some place to go feed him. And um, yeah, I had a had the TV on, and it's like baseball. I was like, who's playing baseball at four thirty? Oh, wow, yeah, a little late, cool. Um, and the kid was pitching. I was like, dude, watch this kid pitch. Uh, 
he no hit California uh, and struck out fourteen. Okay, yeah, they only play six innings, so fourteen <laughs> strikeouts, six innings, pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, presently in the Lily World Series, he has one hundred fourteen Ks in one hundred thirty two batters with uh, one hit and six walks. One hundred fourteen Ks at one hundred thirty two. My lord, my lord, damn. This is like some Danny Almonte stuff, except I, I don't think the kid is is you know faking his birth certificate. It would be, uh, I would think it would be a little bit more challenging to do with the setup that they have this year to do that. But yeah, no, those are that's a ridiculous number line, ridiculous number line. That is, uh, yeah, that's that's almost unfair. All right, um, so re, you know, recapping this for you, our final two questions. We both think at this point it'll be Jordan Travis at least early in the season, getting uh, getting the, the bulk work, unless McKenzie just comes back. You know, uh, next week it just absolutely tears it up, and then I, I can't rule that out. He has flashed at times. I think it is possible that he could. I think it's unlikely uh, that I just think he has more ground to make up now uh, than he did at the start of camp. But it's possible, and like you said, man, he's he's tore up tore up Mike uh, Norvell twice now when Norvell was coaching in Memphis, so he certainly knows what kind of a fierce competitor Mackenzie Milton is. Let's. Uh, uh, let's take Bobby's question. Bobby says, starting QB will the t- be the topic of debate and concern for the next couple of weeks as we go through camp. Knowing Mike's schemes and builds around his players, I feel like who the starter is becomes irrelevant. Travis and Milton have two different skill sets. Both will be used. The snap count be decided more on the type of defenses we play. If the team has trouble against the pass, expects a lot of Milton and quick release. Trouble with the run and a mobile QB, it'll be Travis for most of the game. What are your thoughts? If this is the case, which teams do you predict will have more trouble with Milton or Travis? This is actually kind of a neat, uh, a neat question here, right? It is, yeah. I will say, Bobby. I think Bobby submitted this about ten days ago, or so uh, as well. So uh, we opened up questions in general when we started the series. Some of them have been more recent. Some of them have been, uh, you know, a little bit dated. Uh, but everything that he says still applies here. I just want to give a little bit of perspective as to when the question was submitted. For sure. Uh, so I, I think you definitely want to be able to run the ball very well on Wake. Um, I think you probably need to be able to chuck it around against Notre Dame if, if you want to have a shot in that game. By the way, preview, I've, I've been looking into that matchup some. I don't love that, actually. I, I, I think the defense that FSU has, you want to be able to play a lot more nickel and dime. And I think Notre Dame's going to be like, yeah, we're going to go double tights. And uh, good luck with your nickel and dime against that. So, so Notre Dame, I think you probably want to have, have McKenzie to chuck it around. I think Jordan could be effective against Miami, actually. Their run defense has not been very good. I've been reading their practice reports. They would have some problems at linebacker. They don't love their depth at defensive end, so you're running it there. I don't think you're going to be able to run the ball very effectively at NC State. They're, they're, I think they'll be more stout this year up front and they have a decent linebacker play, so you probably need to be able to chuck it on them. Who else here? Louisville, who the hell knows, man. Their, uh, their defense last year was kind of suspect at everything. You know, Boston College, they already lost one of their one of their better defensive tackles for the year, by the way. This this came across the wire. I think it was yesterday. Uh, yeah. So uh on Wuka, I'm gonna pull him up, see what he did last year. I, I had a note here, my my opponent notes. Um yeah, last year on Wuka, uh, three hundred thirty-eight snaps, uh hundred percent tackle rate. 1.2 havoc per snap, but a, a fairly big-bodied guy who, who helped them out uh, quite a bit. So maybe able to run the ball in BC, but they also, I mean, their their pass and run defense was, was terrible. I mean, it was, it was they had a worse defense than FSU did last year. So 
That's kind of concerning um, if you're them. Who am I missing here on the schedule? Florida, you probably got to be able to chuck it around. Yeah, I mean, I, I some of these teams I was omitting. Uh, NC State, we discussed. UNC has really good corners. I don't really think that, that McKenzie and his, his receiving core is going to do much against them. So probably Jordan there. If you, I mean, if you're just trying to play matchups, right? If we're if we're Major League Baseball manager Mike Norvell, I'm trying to figure out the righty lefty matchups here. It's it's a fun question. It absolutely is. Yeah, Clemson. Uh, Whatever for Clemson. I mean, yeah. yeah, probably not this year. Syracuse. I actually don't know. Just be totally frank with y'all. I'm not going to pretend like I do. <laughs> we miss anybody? No, not not of games that are in significant doubt, uh, in my opinion. Nice. And about an hour again. Yeah. So that was good. I, I enjoyed that. We'll, uh, like I said, we'll do one kind of final preview recap of everything where we think this team is. Is it, uh, you know, more or less is, is broken from preseason camp and more moves to the Notre Dame install, but this has been fun. And this is one of my favorite times of the year. We get to do these previews. We have content out for you guys every two or three days, if not more frequently. And uh, it's great to really go through. I know some of these are a little bit longer than maybe we planned, but it's great through go through. You kind of feel like you get a full sense of the roster and uh, where they're strong, where some of their weaknesses are. And hopefully we've given you, the listener, as good of an idea as we could as to how this year is going to play out. So uh, for Bud, myself, everybody else involved with the Nolcast, we certainly thank you for your listenership and are really excited about the year to come. And as we've said, pretty overall excited about the trajectory of the program. Uh, So with that, we'll close it out for tonight and we'll be back with you in the near future. Thank you. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.